Good morning. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at commodityresearchgroup.com. We would like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any specific trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to sell or buy any derivative. Today is January 19th. So, Andy, the three main drivers of this oil market seem to be uh, economic growth, China reopening, and Russian oil supplies. And we we see that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty because the the big three uh, supply-demand estimates put out by the IEA, the U.S.'s EIA, and OPEC have diverged, especially in the second half, where you see the the IEA and OPEC looking for draws in inventories, and the EIA uh, is looking for builds. So can you kind of square that circle and maybe give us your own thoughts on who's, who could be right, who could be wrong? Sure, Jim. The, first of all, the, the big divergences are, are on the demand side with the with them varying by millions of barrels a day. Uh, OPEC, for instance, has a 101.8 million barrel a day global consumption. The IEA is 101.7, but the EIA is that our government is at 100.5. So, you know, we're looking at, as I said, millions of barrels a day of uh, divergence there. And th- therein is their views on uh as as you mentioned of the economy where they think uh, and where they think china's going to come as well as you know first half second half growth i have to say that we're we're on the lower lower end um our numbers are 100.8 for uh, growth which is uh, about up 1.5 million barrels a day from last year and on the on the China end, we're looking for uh, Chinese demand to be up about six hundred thousand barrels a day. Uh, I think the consensus is eight hundred thousand barrels a day. There are some that are looking for more than that on, on Chinese growth. And again, in term, obviously China's a, a a big determinant of uh, where the price is going to go and where that growth is. You know, where that growth is going to come which quarter is it going to come is it going to be second or third quarter third or fourth quarter you know i think it's going to be it, it could be pr- pretty craggy as as to how that how chinese growth you know how it how it develops you know we do see a second half increase in, in china's um in china's demand more so than the, than the first half but again you know that's a big number jim yeah, we're yeah. looking at is particularly since the IEA reported that Chinese demand was down 0.6 million barrels a day 
uh, for uh, 2022. So, you know, that's clearly key. How the economy goes, you know, most of the most of the uh, most of these agencies, you know, are using the same GDP models. And, um, you know, as we know, just looking at where the Atlanta Atlanta Fed is relative to some of the other uh, estimates, you know, the, those can uh, those could be right or or wrong, obviously. Yeah, there, there seems to be a uh, sort of default of uh, plus two percent. You know, these right. models, if you, you don't know what's going to happen, you just throw in plus two percent growth. But you you also you also have uh, draw second half. Is that correct? That's correct. Despite your uh, lower uh, Chinese number. Yeah, despite my well, I I, I kind of backloaded it for the for the second half. Got, oh, uh, got it. Okay, on demand. Got um, it. But yeah, I am I am a I am lower than some of the other some of the other estimates on uh, on demand. And you know, I just did I just did revise it upwards because I did revise Chinese demand up like 150 a day from my previous estimate of uh, I think I was at 400 or something. So I did I did move it I did move it up. So, and certainly, well, you know, that that that's a big number. So, um, looking back, twenty twenty two, it seems like uh, two of the big numbers that were missed were China demand and the amount of crude oil and products that Russia maintained on the market after, um, you know, all the uh, after the war broke out. Is it, is that oh, correct? Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. In terms of uh, in terms of Russia, the uh, you know, IEA was talking about a loss of two or three million barrels a day from uh, Russian production, and uh, you know it's going to end up. It, 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 Russian production is going to end up pretty close. Twenty twenty two production is going to end up pretty close to the pre invasion numbers. You know, maybe down a couple of hundred thousand. It, it, is all as uh, Russia's been able to open new markets and uh, change the flow. But I, I think that's one of the big numbers that, you know, everybody missed. And and China demand, you know, at first it was going to be, you know, everybody was looking for a, a decent growth, not not a big growth, but some somewhat of a growth. And then all of a sudden it became apparent they weren't going to grow at all. And then finally, as we move towards mid-year, you know, the estimates uh, started to go to, to negative. And, um, you know, it's coming in 2022, will come in negative to uh, 2021. So those were, yeah, the market, the market completely missed those numbers. And, of course, you know, you look at the, the price, the, the, where the prices were, you know, if you if you were in the first half of the year and you're talking about two or three million barrels a day of lost Russian production, naturally, as well as a decent Chinese demand, you know, naturally the market is going to go, you know, the market's going to go higher, uh, which, you know, which it did. Yeah. Significantly higher. You know, yes. I think the TI high was was uh, 130 and the balances look, you know, they look very, very bullish. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I I um I think we saw a lot of those bullish ideas um that, that play out in the option world. In fact, even going into the um war, war that people had the all the a lot of these big uh, option plays on on the call side for for an upside move 
and then the war came out. But um, since then, the even more bullish ideas have not uh, come to fruition. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at the uh, March WTI contract, and I see from July to to today, the high was a little over ninety bucks, and the low was just a little over seventy bucks, and we're at eighty right now. Now, the, I mean, do you think that reflects the uncertainty that around these numbers? I mean, you can't, you can't, as a barrel counter, I think you've said during uh, you know, 2020 when COVID hit that you have to redo your balances uh, on a daily basis. It does, yeah, it last does, year, well, last year too. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's like a daily, you know, a daily redo. And, you know, and the it, other thing. Yep, sorry, go ahead. That, no, I, 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 the other thing that, changed was the release of the reserves by you know the government release of, of reserves both us and internationally you know that that also had a had a very big impact so you know for the year uh for 2022 uh it it, it looked to us and also the the iea that we probably built inventories something on the on the order of a million barrels a day plus or minus, you know, a couple hundred thousand. And, you know, which is equivalent to the, the release of the SPR. Right. Uh, but that, that was another, you know, really big factor and definitely contributed to the market, as you said, Jim, uh, you know, coming off into July. And then we kind of settled into this huge, you know, this big, huge range. And looking where we are on, you know, well, and there's still there's still obviously a lot of uncertainty because as as we just mentioned, look at the difference in these, you know, in these balances. Right. You know, the, the, so, yeah, I I think eighty is, yeah, I I, th I think it's probably close to right. You know, the price is the price, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So getting back to uh, Russia supply, there's. If you look at the IEA, they're talking about maybe losing eight hundred and seventy thousand barrels a day due to Russia in in twenty twenty three. Now, is that going to be due to the February fifth embargo with products, or where that's a little high though? Is it? Where, where do you think that's coming from? I I think it's high. Uh... What's interesting is OPEC too is OPEC's looking for close to that, like uh, nine hundred thousand barrels a day. I think from of lost Russian supply. Yeah, I think it's it's owing to the, you know, owing to this product embargo coming up. I I think it's high, you know that that I think that number is is, is pretty high. But the thinking is that, you know, the, this embargo is beginning February fourth and. Russia exports something like, you know, over a million barrels a day of uh, of products, and um, they, to the EU, it's something like six or seven hundred thousand barrels a day of diesel alone. So, if there's an embargo, you know, that means crude runs are going to are going to have Russian crude runs are going to have to decrease, and since storage is pretty high uh in russia that's really the only way you know you're going to start losing russian production um as a result of that you know as a result of, of the loss of of products because you 
you know, you, you won't be able to to export and things will back up. So production will go down. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case. Right. Um, you know, Russia's done a pretty good job of uh, of um, shifting its uh, shifting its markets from um, west to east. And uh, on diesel, what what may happen if if there's you know if they have enough, I, I think the key will be will they have enough tankers to shift the flows from Western Europe to say Latin America and Asia uh or south america and what we'll pro- what we could see is a flow shift from you know to latin america and then u.s diesel which supplies the u.s and we'll see u.s diesel head to uh head to western europe uh with the net result in my opinion uh i still think there'll be a loss of about you know half a million barrels a day of, of russian crude maybe a little bit more I think 900 is, is you know, I, I, I agree with you, Jim. It's on the high side. And it, it, uh, we see that uh, China seems to be uh, increasing uh, quotas for their uh, teapot refineries. These, this is, so is, is China basically buying deeply discounted oil from their good friends, the Russians, and then selling it in terms of like diesel on the marketplace? <laughs> I mean, these, these are what are, what else what are friends for right right exactly you know they've increased their uh demand for for Russian crude although they're still keeping a pretty good portfolio of suppliers you know that, that they believe that you know they don't want to get too reliant on any on any one supplier but you know certainly buying Russian crude at 30 or forty dollars under Brent and yeah and reselling it into Europe at a at at forty or fifty dollars over Brent is a great trade. Yes, sure. and India the same. You know, India is the one that really has been, you know, the big consumer of of Russian crude that used to go to Europe. You know, they they they're up a million barrels of over a million barrels a day of uh, Russian crude, and then of course there's uh, uh, some increases in Turkey. And Malaysia has taken a, a lot of, of Russian crude, but that's what that means is it's going somewhere else. It's going to be transshipped. Uh, you know, the, the end result is not Malaysia. You know, the, the end user is not Malaysia. It's, it's either China or uh, or India. Interesting. And OPEC in the background, what's what, what's what are they thinking? What's their policy? They, I mean, we, we kind of thought they were getting a little. Uh bullish by cutting back uh the quotas a few months ago but turns out they were right with demand deteriorating going forward what do you what do you see opec's uh, policy i think they you know I, I think their goal is is something around 90 you know 80 to 90 90 to 100 you know that that i think would be a, a good price range for them you know i'm sure they were happy to collect collect well over a hundred dollars when prices were up there but i think you know they, they've realized that's <clears throat> very dangerous for for the market to be you know to be that high so i what i have what i think is their production is going to be pretty steady here around 29 million barrels a day which is where they were in the fourth quarter give or take a couple of hundred thousand 
barrels a day. You know, it's interesting, Jim. The next meeting, the next ministerial meeting is until June. Hmm. Um, they're going to have once every two months, they're going to have the market monitoring committee is going to meet. I think, I think the official title is the JMMC. And they can recommend that there's a full ministerial meeting, you know, if, if prices get too out of hand either way. But I, I think right now, you know, given given where the market is, uh, I, I don't really see, you know, OPEC taking drastic action. Of course, you know, if the, if the market gets above or well above or well below their price bands, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, they'll meet. But, you know, right now, I think it's steady as she goes. Yeah, I do recall a uh, customer of ours, Andy, uh, after an OPEC meeting where they they actually gave a range that they were looking at, sold some uh, some of those strangles around those prices and um, didn't work out too well. You know, I mean, what they're always they they want a price, but you can't always get to it. We'll right. See, we'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult to manage the market, although, you know, they're. They they have increased if you look at 2022 uh, in the first quarter, they they averaged 28.4 million barrels a day. And they came out of it, you know, 29.1 million barrels a day. So they did they did net uh, increase production, and I I think that was another factor, certainly in uh, tamping prices down. So, what about some non-OPEC production? Uh, looks like everybody's uh, Brazil, Canada, U U.S., Guyana, all going to be producing it. Record levels in Norway. Usual, usual suspects, except for Guyana. Except for Guyana's uh, a new one, right? Yeah. Norway, you forgot to add. I was you about to, to add yeah. in, uh, Norway. I mean, we're we're looking for since Russia's a net, you know, Russia's also a non-OPEC producer. We're looking for about uh, an increase in, in um, non-OPEC production of about 0.9 million. Let's say, let's just round it up to a million barrels a day. Uh, with, and that's in, that's including Russia. You're saying that's including Russia, okay. right? Yeah, I mean, if Russia, and, and as I said, we're we're something like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.7 million barrels a day lower on Russian. Obviously, you, you know, getting back to OPEC, obviously, if Russia keeps pumping out at 11 million barrels a day uh, and doesn't fall at all. You know, then OPEC is going to have to do so. They they will have to redo, reduce production. But I think you know, if you look at the OPEC numbers, they are pretty aggressive on um, you know on where they think OPEC uh, Russian production is going to be. They they as I think I mentioned, they're they're looking at like you know down nine hundred mm. uh, for twenty three. So that you know, again, as you mentioned in the in, yeah. you know yeah. in the beginning, Jim. Russia, China, yeah, those are, yeah. Yeah, and with a high variance around what we say about future production and consumption. Right. So let's get into refining. Looks like uh, runs were down in December. I mean, there was a lot of weather issues. Uh, but overall, refineries, they had some great cracks. Now, what's the situation refiners are in now? Well, the cracks have really rallied uh, because, uh, at least in the in, uh, U.S., 
owing to the fact that these refineries have, at least according to the uh, EIA, these refineries have not come back. And I guess according to the market too. So maybe one could say, yeah, those run numbers, which are lower th than what we had expected uh, for this week, has led has led to a nice rally in the in the cracks, as has uh, you know the big builds in uh, the big build in, in crude. So you know for for right now, owing to the fact that they're not uh, that refineries are not up to where they should be for mid January because of the freeze outs in uh, in December. You know margins cracks are are pretty good and we are going into we are going into turnarounds in, in february so you know short term i think that the you know it, the refiners look like they're going to be in good shape and as we go forward uh one thing that is really important another really important factor is that there's going to be a lot of new refinery capacity on the market this year something like i think it's net over a million and a half barrels a day globally and those plants presumably are going to be uh, a lot more efficient than uh, some of the plants that they'll they'll be replacing like here in the u.s beaumont exxon beaumont is is adding about two hundred seventy thousand barrels a day of capacity to their existing refinery uh, and that's going to replace the houston refinery uh, owned by uh, having a, I'm having a moment, but the, that Houston refinery is is um, certainly not, you know, you know that's an old refinery, right? And that's what we're going to see globally. Some of these big refineries re replacing, you know, older refineries, and and I think that um, the second half for for refiners may be a little more challenging than uh, certainly than the than the first half as these plants come on to um you know come come on to the market and certainly where the economy is 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 another uh another key factor you know there's a there's a story out uh, i think it was reuters put out about um uh, some analysis showing that they expect uh, a heavy maintenance year this year and and um maybe uh by february we see uh almost one and a half million barrels of capacity offline which right. would be tw twice the five-year average Are you, is that kind of what you're coming up with too or yeah yeah i think first quarter as i said the first quarter you know should be good for refiners and into the you know maybe into the second quarter as well but you know second half even though we see an increase in demand we're also going to see an increase in uh, refinery capacity to to meet it so um you know it still should be good i mean I, I i think it'll still be historically pretty good for refiners but nothing nothing like last year uh, comment on this diesel cracks are doing better than gasoline cracks therefore refiners are going to keep producing diesel and they can only this was i think this was in the eia analysis um therefore uh they're going to be producing a lot of gasoline with it that we don't necessarily need i hate to get it get you into a heat to gas train oh my goodness come on <laughs> but i mean just on that factor alone does that does that make sense to you or is it 
like is, is yeah I, you know it does it does make sense again some of the more advanced refineries can tweak it a, a lot better than than some of the older refineries but yeah in, in essence that that is the case and uh you know we've already we're already at least on gasoline here in the u.s you know we're we're in pretty good shape uh and demand is in terms of uh inventories and as we've been mentioning every single podcast i think you know u.s demand for gasoline has been you know really disappointing this year flat lower you know next year i think it could be you know i i, I think it'll be lower Interesting, um, Andy, in the Wall Street Journal, there was a story that uh, mentioned 10% of all new cars in the world are, are electric vehicles. And I'm just wondering if that's influencing your uh, demand numbers for, for gasoline these days. I know you you were, you know, maybe three or four years ago, you were talking about how it's still just a blip on the radar, but now it seems like it's getting more important. Is that is that true? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, yeah, for years that we've been, you know, I've been an analyst forever. This <laughs> Jim knows. This Jim knows. But, 19, 1978, you know, right? Uh, yeah. Well, 1980. Oh, okay. The heat, uh, heating oil contract. Right. Oh, yeah, the heating oil contract. It was 78. Yeah. Right. It came upon the scene in 80. Where were we? Oh, gasoline. Yeah, yeah. So we we have been, you know, I have been poo-pooing the the influence of uh, EVs on gasoline demand, but now it's you know it's beginning to it's definitely emerging as uh, you know a, a more and more of a, a of an important factor in the U.S. You know, I, I think we're, we're still probably under a hundred thousand barrels a day of net losses because of uh, the growth in EV. Globally, the IEA put losses of demand as well as uh, efficiencies at 900,000 barrels a day. But maybe, because globally is where the, the action is on uh, EV, particularly in China. Uh, U.S. is going to continue to grow. Last year, I think uh, the journal, I think the number on EV sales in the U.S. were 800,000 or 6%. I think in China, it's something like, was it 20%, Jim? I mean, it was, I don't know. You know, it's markedly higher in China and Europe than, than it is here, but it's going to continue to grow here. So, yeah, I mean, there, that's a, that's, if you put, if it, if 900 is right, you know, that, that's a, that's a big number, 900,000. You know, that's, yeah. you know, it's only 1% now, but it's grown. Yeah. If the growth is exponential, right. Um, it's going to be a, a bigger part and and i don't know where they count hybrids is is, is that counted as an ev or a, yeah uh, or they just throw that into yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, in the journal numbers it was a uh i think it was an e i think it yeah. was an ev or that or the catch-all category of efficiency yeah but it, it last year's kind of or 2022 is kind of a you know we had those high gasoline prices so that that was affecting demand as well right you know i kind of thought you know, how is this EV thing going to play out? And the more EVs you get, the lower gas prices go to everything else equal. And then lower gas prices go, the more value maybe a used car has that uses, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the tough calculation is, all right, does that EV replace 
a um, internal combustion engine? Is that, you know, is that engine retired or is it going to, you know, is it being resold and used by somebody else? So that's why these, you know, the net numbers may, you know, the, there's the gross numbers, but what, what are the net numbers? Right. You know, they may be, they may be quite a bit, quite a bit lower, but you know, it's definitely, as I, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about this a lot in the, in obviously in the next, uh, you know, in our podcast coming up. Yeah. So let me, let me just mention a couple of things about options, Andy, before we, uh, get off and that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we had seen a lot of bullish plays, uh, coming into 2022 and then the war, uh, helped them out probably, you know, got higher prices sooner than people thought. And, um, if I looked at the, I looked at the open interest numbers for, for, uh, especially for WT, WTI and Brent's, but, um, mainly in WTI, the, the top six of the top 10 of the calls were in February, which went off the board uh, on Tuesday, but they were all these uh, $1 strike call spreads. So, so we had the 104, 105s, 119s, 120s, 114, 115, and they had about 35 to 45,000 uh, lots of open interest on, on each leg. So that, that's a, those are big numbers. And those are, you know, done in, in big chunks, you know, 35,000 at a clip. Um, and now those are gone, but we're still left with some, you know, monster, like the, the 119 and 121 calls in June have over 70,000 and the June 120 has about 36,000. So those also were part of that's a, a one strike call spread, maybe a two strike, a $2 wide strike call spread. And some just outright call buying in the more optimistic uh, times. The, in Brent, the number one uh, call option is uh, the, the June 150 calls at 75,000. So, that, so all those were put on in you know kind of the the height of the uh, of the bullishness, and uh, now we w what we're seeing coming out of the, into this new year is more call uh, yesterday was a good example where we had uh, twice as many calls trade as puts however there was twice as many puts of new open interest than calls so it's kind of like a churning going on on the call side and um, new new positions being put on on the put side the other thing i'd mention is um, volatility is down to around uh, 42 percent in the front month a little bit of um contango in the market not not much but march is lower than until you get out to june i think june and july are the, are the peak involved the the interesting thing is that if you go back i guess from october the historical volatility 20-day historical volatility has, has been in the 30s you know pretty much the lower 30s since october implied volatility was you know in the high 40s and high 50s early in October and, and now it's down to 42%. So, so the actual market vol, you know, I mentioned March was between 70 and 90 since, since October has the, the actual market vol has come down or is, is low, but there's still a, a, a premium, uh, nine to 10 points in implied volatility. So, so the market is saying, you know, there's nothing going on now, but you know what, there's something, something out there that could happen. And again, 
gets back to that uncertainty that we we've been talking about for the whole podcast. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that the the put volumes have been the the put open interest has has been growing. You think that's producers? You know, it's it, the problem is it's all spread out. It's hard to tell. You know, it's I guess you're not seeing big chunks of anything go. It's like you know, two three thousand occasionally a five thousand lot thing will go. But yeah, it's it could be producers. Um, we we talked about this where when the markets were up, and even after they come off some, the thing that was if if you look at the market as let, let's say you think the futures market is moving to a, a price where you had a fifty fifty chance as that's you know theoretical, but the the part in the option curve or the the option uh, market that was missing was out of the money put buying, so there was no nobody was doing that, and um, it's it seems to be a little. Maybe maybe uh, some of that coming in as well. It, people looking at these economic numbers and saying, you know what, this is not going to sustain, you know, crude prices. And or they're looking at the EIA numbers. We're going to have builds in the second half of the year. Maybe maybe that brings right. in some uh, with the economy weak in the in the first half of the year. So uh, yeah, it's a uh, maybe that's what it's all about. And you know, the you don't have a buyer without a seller. So there's there's obviously some willing sellers out there it's not all market makers yeah so it's uh it's a tough again the volumes aren't wild they're not great but they're um you know people are back to trading again and and again the, the, the call there's so much call open interest that now that's that's churning people are getting out rolling all kinds of things so that that generates its own uh volume there but um, well, I, I, yeah go ahead sorry no, I was going to say that it's great that people are back trading a little bit more. Certainly, there's been, you know, one bank in particular that's really been, uh, you know, has been banging the, the bullish drum pretty pretty loudly. Of course, they were banging that drum in the fourth quarter too. You know, <laughs> that didn't quite work out, but. You know, maybe maybe they're getting a little bit more interest than in the in the more the banks in general. Maybe they're getting a little more interest than in, in the commodity markets. Yeah, I th I think they missed the uh, you know COVID lockdown in China, and uh, and obviously the Russian oil that's been able to maintain on the marketplace. And uh, you know, maybe maybe a little of the economy. I don't know, but that's uh, it's you you um, I don't know. You 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 can't. This is a market. You you. I guess you can always remain bullish, but you're going to be right at some yeah, point. I think they also were very, very arrogant about the effect of the SBR on, on the markets, you know, saying that it would have no effect. Well, it had, you know, it had a big effect. Yeah, that those barrels just kept coming. They just kept coming. Kept getting exported. Yeah, they kept getting exported, and you know they contributed to at least building some uh, you know well needed well needed inventories. I mean, inventories are still you know they're still low. They, they've they've rebuilt some, but you know relative to five year averages, they're, they're they're still on the low side. So that's yet another you know that's another bullish factor. Uh, you know that gives some support to the some support to the bulls. I mean, there's a lot of things that the bulls can can work out, you know, to to say the market could go back to 100, or it could go anywhere. Obviously, 
as as we as you know since following this thing since 1980 right yep in uh, me in 1986 what else andy what do we miss we're probably missing a lot of stuff because it's yeah it's... we missed a lot of stuff but i think we i think we've covered you know so, some of the some of the main points the one thing one thing that's sort that's pretty interesting is that and i think this is a reflection of the consumer wanting to travel uh globally jet jet fuel prices here in the u.s are through the roof in new york harbor they they were trading 70 cents over the screen after being in contango for the fourth quarter so i think you know, there's one indication that uh, jet fuel demand should be pretty strong. And that's that's one of the things, if you want China demand to be uh, closer to 900,000 than my 600,000 or 500, you know, 500 to 600,000, it's going to be, it's going to have to come from jet fuel demand. Mm. So that's yeah. something, to, that's something to watch. And obviously that's good for refiners that, uh, that jet fuel has been that that's been that strong yeah and so put putting it all together ask you to give me what 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 is what's your uh probability of prices going forward what do you think well i think that I, i'm not it, right now based on you know my balances and my you know my, my numbers and some of the other numbers as uh, as well I, i'm having a hard time seeing the market really take off you know towards uh seeing wti taking off you know towards above 90 really uh you know i really so I, to me something would have to happen for it to get uh anywhere near uh a hundred dollars so you know last last podcast we we spoke about a 75 85 range market got down lower you know it did get down to 70 uh and the 82 i think is the recent high 82 or, or 83 but you know what jim I, i'm pretty i'm still pretty good at that 75 85 at least at least you know at least going forward May, maybe expand it a little uh maybe your 70 90 range is the you know is the, is the ultimate one to play but you know to me 75 85 is the you know i think i'm still gonna still gonna stay there and and obviously we'll we'll start learning about some of the uncertainties that we you know i think we we both outlined in the in this podcast very good we'll leave it at there leave it right there until next month andy actually, until be, next month actually uh, i'll be talking to you later today but that's right yeah, uh yeah. If you if you want to get a hold of uh, of me, try it. Try me at a LeBeau at commodityresearchgroup.com. And uh, as Jim mentioned, our, our website is uh, commodityresearchgroup.com. And Jim, yeah, you can find him on LinkedIn. Me yeah. too. It's the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Jim.